Hello, this is Lawrence Lewis. And this is Sister Christian. Today is Thursday, June 11th, 2020. This is the Producers Happy Hour. Two producers on opposite coasts reaching out to our filmmaking community to discuss the issues with getting the film industry back to work safely. And now, to discuss the systemic racism in our industry. We find ourselves being asked to take on greater responsibilities from a variety of guidelines created in multiple sources due to COVID. Now, more than ever, it's important for us to keep sharing our experiences and ideas. And we still want to hear from you. So please email us your thoughts or better yet, record a one to two minute voice memo and send it to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Just follow the instructions on our website, producershappyhour.com. And please share the show with your friends, colleagues, family, you know, your frenemies. We want these stories to be heard. We think that they're important, but we also, you know, we really want to know where you stand on these issues. Yes. And while we were off for a week, we came back with the interview with Mercedes from the week prior. Mm -hmm. You know, we're Mm -hmm. still trying to figure out the right voice for the show with everything else going on. So we're going to present an old episode back from January. This would have been original episode four. And it's Mm -hmm. an interview with Jordan Levy, who is a cinematographer for over 20 years in commercials, music videos, television, and film. He was also on one of our crew safety roundtables last month. So keep in mind, folks, that this episode was recorded back in January before coronavirus, before the economic shutdown, before the last few weeks of protests. And it was a very different time in a very different world. So again, keep that in mind when you listen. It's still informative. It just may feel like uh, (laughs) super positive. (laughs) Super positive. Super happy. (laughs) Exactly. And Christian, before we get into it, we should let everybody know that we are now going back to be a weekly podcast. I know. (laughs) The devastation (laughs) out there. I hear it now. So many tears. So many tears. (laughs) The tears. Uh, So much is going on right now. And, you know, we still want to discuss how to get back to work. But I feel like our efforts need to be split among many different things right now. So weekly feels best for us. We can always hop on and do more if we decide to. But in the end, weekly feels right. Yes. So they'll come out on Thursdays, late in the day, around five o'clock or six o'clock West Coast time. So you've got a whole week to listen to these episodes now. So listen. So listen, <laughs> Christian, how are you doing? How are you? How's your mental space? Uh, mentally, I'm good. I've been busy on several other projects, nothing work related because I, I just, again, I've been getting calls and I just, I'm not ready to go down the road of, you know, trying to figure out how production should be done. Mm-hmm. I know how it should be done and I don't want to have to fight for every penny to get it yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, There should be some standards in place, which quite aren't there yet. I also pulled my back out. So sleeping is, and there's a little muscle oh. relaxer. So if I start to slur a little bit, guys, sorry <laughs> about that. Then we know why. Uh-huh. How are you? I'm all over the place, Christian. My head is spinning. I'm so... Scattered a little? Scattered. I'm so scattered. Mm-hmm. I can't focus. You know, I've been going to these marches. I know you have as well. Very focused more on that. And I know I'm in L.A. County. I'm in L.A. City. And tomorrow, apparently, we open up for <laughs> yeah. film production. <laughs> I saw that. Hey, you guys, guess what? Go out and Which, do your thing. <laughs> all the information up until yesterday was leading us to believe that L.A. County was going to be left out of the oh. California film production opening but yesterday garcetti said filming is now allowed as of tomorrow in la city i think county's following suit so there you go we're back uh uh, i'm not working i don't really have anything on the docket which is okay because i'm more focused on the on the uh systemic racism and the social injustices that that need to get figured out and that's kind of where my head is at and i'm more, more focused on that yeah, the turning the the eye on ourselves is yes. really the very first step. So it's it just makes me feel. I mean, I love how enthusiastic everybody is. There will be some. You know, it's a very emotional journey that we're mm-hmm. embarking on, and there will be very some very disc like uncomfortable things. And th- when you start to realize what you've done in front of or with your friends. That is wrong. Yeah. 
and you did, you will start to feel that you've hurt people unintentionally and mm-hmm. they've not had it within them to say something to you. Mm-hmm. There's a lot involved with this and it's very emotional and it's exhausting and, um, but it's very important to keep going. Yeah. Yes, but, it is. You know, to take a slight break from it occasionally. Yeah. As well. Yes. It's a, it's a, this is a, <laughs> it's a balance. Yeah. It's a balance. It's also, this isn't a moment. This is a movement. Yes. So it's a sustained movement. So initially I, you know, donated a, a chunk of money to Black Lives Matter. I have now become a monthly subscriber. Oh, that. nice. Yes, because nice. I know that helps them more. Put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. And then last night, Christopher and I watched 13th, Ava DuVernay documentary. about. Yes. Uh, it's very moving. It's very moving. It's a lot. It's a lot to, uh, to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then this Sunday, which I want to mention because this was a bit of a controversy, is the L.A. Pride March for Black Lives Matter, Sunday, June 12th, here in Los Angeles. Yes. So, you know, the L.A. Pride was canceled due to coronavirus. They came back immediately once all this started and said, we're going to do a Black Lives Matter march instead of gay pride. Okay. So then that that erupted into a bit of controversy because (laughs) several reasons. Mm -hmm. L.A. Pride is connected to Christopher Street West which is the the West Coast version of the organization in in New York that ran the organized marches after the Stonewall riots. Yes. Few things became a problem with this, and I'm not fully educated on it, but this is the the, the glimpse of information that I got. Stonewall itself was tied to the mob. The mob would come in to get their payola Mm -hmm. for protection. And so that was tied to the mob. L.A. Pride is very tied with the LAPD. And they requested permission and they requested a permit in L.A. to do that. And at the same time, they did not speak to Black Lives Matter about this. They did not get their permission for it. And Black Lives Matter, every march and everything they do, they're not cooperating with LAPD. There's no permits involved, right? So L.A. Pride, the organization, actually officially backed out of the march. Uh-huh. Handed it over to a panel of black LGBTQ folks who are now running this organized Black Lives Matter solidarity march. And they've disconnected from the LAPD. They've not gotten permits and there's Mm -hmm. not getting corporate sponsors and they're not getting all the money and all that kind of stuff that they normally do for L.A. Pride. Mm -hmm. So they corrected themselves. Seems like everyone seems to be happy with it and it's going to happen. And it's this Sunday. I think I said 12th, but it's actually the 14th, Sunday, June 14th. Yeah. And on top of that, I watched the documentary Death and Life of Marsha Pete Johnson. Yes. It's very important because this is, would be the 50th anniversary of L.A. Pride. The Stonewall riots were back in 69, but uh, mm-hmm. here in L.A. we started celebrating in 70. So Martha Pete Johnson, she was a, an American gay liberation activist and a self-identified drag queen. And she was known for being an outspoken advocate for gay rights. She was one of the prominent figures of the Stonewall Uprising in 1969 and a founding member of the Gay Liberation Front. She co-founded it with gay and transvestite advocacy organization STAR, alongside her close friend Sylvia Rivera. So these are two prominent figures in gay culture. And what I didn't know, and I learned by watching the documentary, is that her death was a little suspicious. Days before her death, she was being pursued by the mob, and she was talking to friends oh, about wow. being pursued by the mob for her role in this kind of uprising. And it's about some other advocates trying to kind of get to the bottom of of what exactly her death was. She was just found in the Hudson River. And just, yeah, after being missing for a day and a half or two days or something to that effect. So that was a very interesting movie to watch, Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, and very timely because here we are. And where can we find this movie? I found it on Netflix. Fantastic. Yeah. Lawrence, you turned me on to this. It's a call for change. Black professionals in advertising demand urgent action from agency leadership. Yes, they wrote an open letter. 600, a little over 600 black creatives and advertising professionals wrote an open letter to the industry. 602, it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the letter, it actually has a link to go see who and what companies they have uh, who signed it Mm -hmm. and which companies there are. And I noticed that there's several agencies that aren't on this list, which is interesting to me as well. I'll read a little bit of it because I think it's important. It says right here, after decades of well-intentioned diversity and inclusion efforts, 
I'm doing air quotes. We have seen <laughs> little progress in making black voices a more representative part of the creative process. We have seen even less progress in ensuring equitable representation of black professionals in senior and leadership positions. And because the industry does not release or track diversity numbers, it is impossible to tell what, if any, progress has been made. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they have a list of asks. We are mm -hmm. asking all U.S. advertising agencies to take the following actions to address the systemic racism that is afflicting our industry. It is a list of 12 asks. They all make sense. There's, mm -hmm. you know, it's nothing terribly outrageous in there. We can post this open letter in our show notes. You could probably find it as well by Googling it, a call for change. Yeah, I think number 12, I mean, stands out to me, of course, you know, with all of it included. Yes. But, you know, introduce a wage equity plan to ensure black women and black men and people of color are being compensated fairly. The fact that this isn't something that I know, I know I'm not naive by any stretch of the imagination, but um, the fact that agencies haven't felt the value in that to come up with it themselves is very telling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah not yeah. agency bashing, just explaining that it's no. happening everywhere. It happens no. everywhere. No. All right. So, Christian, we are going to go to this old episode. But first, I want to talk about a couple things. On our website, we have a new page called Do the Work. Mm -hmm. And you and I have been talking about making a commitment with each other to educate ourselves about racism and discuss it periodically here on the show. Because as a good friend of ours told us, it's a long-term movement. Well, it's true because I think that the excitement and the enthusiasm is out there and we want to do something right away, especially yeah. in this, you know, in our community as production yeah. people. So we need to understand that this isn't about us and what the focus is. And so doing the work is part of that. So we've created a page on our website called Do the Work. We have a link there that is to anti-racism resources. So these are books, podcasts, articles, videos to watch, documentaries, all kinds of things that you can consume to educate yourself about the history of racism in our country. We'll also have links to actionable things that you can support in the Black Lives Matter movement. Lawrence and I also just have chosen to watch Dr. Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility discussion. We're going to watch it before next Thursday and then discuss it. Yeah. And as much as we want to speak about the racial injustices in our country and in our industry, it shouldn't be left to two white people we can never fully understand. So before we go into the old episode, we're going to play a clip from a video with a woman speaking. Her name's Kimberly Jones. Mm -hmm. You've probably see, mostly seen it. It has become very popular, very this video. very powerful. Mm -hmm. But we think it's important. It's strong. It's powerful. And we're going to play a clip of it as we go into the episode. But guys, before we start the interview, just to let you know, the show is edited and co-produced by Rob Bloomkey. Artwork and logo designed by Christopher Daniels. And our music was composed by Kyle Puccia. Thanks for listening. We're back next week. Until then, stay safe, stay connected, and stay active. Wash your hands now more than ever. <sighs> Since we are venturing outside, please wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Clean your phone. And... Still keep wearing your mask. I know that mask fatigue happens and, yes. you know, we see other people without their masks on. It's just something that is smart to do. Especially if you're going to any of the protests, any of the marches. Yes. More and bring hand ever. sanitizer, too, and spread the yes. love. Be sure to send us your emails or your voice recordings to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Lawrence, how do people reach you directly? Two ways, lawrencetlewis.com or for voiceover work, voiceoflawrence.com. Christian, how do people get you? They can reach me at sisterchristianproduces.com. All right. Let's take a listen to old episode four and Kimberly Jones. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do 
do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target. You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. Hi, Lawrence. Hey, Christian. What's new? Oh, God. So much is new. We're recording this in the new year, right? We recorded the last few episodes back in 2019, which seems like mm-hmm. a distant memory. Yeah. But, well, uh, January was a year long. It, <laughs> it was. This year started uh, hot and heavy, I think, right? How about for you? Yeah. I'm on the second job of the year already, which is kind of nuts for wintertime. Uh-huh. Both of them have been travel jobs, which, again, for wintertime is a little bit out of the norm for me. Uh-huh. But, yes, been very fortunate. I had to go to Detroit. Oh. <laughs> in January. Do you know what the temperature was most days? Please. 22 degrees. Yes. I'm, fr- I'm born and raised Southern California. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not built for that type of weather. I don't have coats that work for that kind of weather. But, no, uh, layers, layers, layers. Thank right? God. You know when you're on production and mm-hmm. it's a crazy schedule, you don't get to really do anything. No, so you're not really not. outside that much. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I borrowed a coat from Christopher and made do with it, and it was fine. That sounds awesome. I've also had to send a PA out occasionally for a winter jacket. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. or <laughs> nice to be in the biz. Have sometimes. you ever asked your wardrobe department to maybe prep some warm uh, clothes for you? I have definitely had asked the wardrobe department to do that for either client or director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, my, I have as well. I have as well. Well, look, I am. Really excited about today's guest. I'm very excited because this will be our first DP. Yes. Today we have the amazing director of photography, and he's a really, really great guy just to have around and to work with. He's really fun. And today we're going to be talking to him about tech and how that affects the camera department. It could be anything about the different formats we have to shoot now for the different platforms. 9 by 16 what? <laughs> um, but that's tall, not wide. It's tall. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my last, like, two jobs, we've had a frame for that, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's just the sign of the times. But also all these new lighting panels and all these new camera bodies. And we need to learn as producers what is going on, what's the new tech, how that affects DPs and what they do, and the equipment that we're, we're renting for them to do their magic. Exactly. I feel that we need to be in the know as well so that we can advise and say, there might be a better way to do this. Have you thought of this as well? Exactly. Mm -hmm. On my last job, we got to the location into the Scout and we realized, I can hear your drink. I was hearing it too. (laughs) I will stop. No, it's happy hour. So we're (laughs) fine. It's fine. It's the whole point of the show. Um, The last job I did, we decided to go with an Alexa LF, large format sensor, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it helped make the background fall off out of focus, which Mm -hmm. was really good because it just wasn't the prettiest. So having a large format camera actually helped us reduce the lighting package, made art department's job much easier. Mm -hmm. It changed the workflow a bit from what the plan was. And so I had to make some adjustments in the budget to be able to fly a large format Alexa out from Keslo in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. to Detroit. Mm Mm-hmm. But spending that money was the right thing to do because it made a lot of other things about the job much easier. Well, it sounds like you could cut down on manpower. We did. And equipment. Yes, we And did. time in your day. Yep. So that outweighs the money that you spent on camera. Yeah. I'm sure it was less than what you would have had to pay otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. So technology. <laughs> technology. Amazing. <laughs> it's here to help us guys or kill us all. I'm not sure. Both. Both. Exactly. What are you drinking today? So I am drinking a Grapefruit Paloma cocktail by Cutwater Spirits. Oh, my gosh. It's delicious. That's amazing. Yes, it is a Grapefruit Paloma that has tequila in it. Perfect for the afternoon. What are you drinking today, Lawrence? I am drinking, this is really cool, this actually was a gift to me. It's a little airport-sized bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label, which is one of their nicer concoctions. Mm Mm-hmm. 
This is a gift from uh, Sam Chitty at Biscuit UK and Mercedes Allen at, at Biscuit oh, here right. in L.A. Yeah. as a thank you gift for a job I produced for them, an experiential job that was challenging, and they gave me this lovely little bottle of booze to soothe my nerves. That's lovely because— If I remember correctly, that job was intense. Yes. Yeah. We talked about it, yeah. It was very intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I called you with some— emergency emotional support needs. New York stuff. New York stuff. Exactly. But we got through it, and they sent some thank yous. And cheers. Here we go. Cheers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our interview with Jordan will be a bit later because it's time to get on with the episode. Let's do it. Yeah. And just a reminder for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, Producers Happy Hour is our journey to find out what it takes and what it means to be a good producer. So, Christian, I have a new segment for you. What's it called? <laughs> it's called Current Affairs. Ooh, scandalous. I know. Go you on. Know, I, like, I like segments. <laughs> so this Current Affair, I think we just talk about news that affects our industry and that affects us as freelance people and small business owners or however you want to look at us. Mm-hmm. But this is a California bill, so I don't know if you've heard much about it. It's called Assembly Bill 5, AB5, and it went into effect at the beginning of the year. So apologies, this isn't the most timely thing, but it is still something that is going to affect a lot of freelancers. And I got a letter because I have a corporation that I run my right. freelance business through. I got a letter from the EDD that kind of outlines how this is going to affect freelancers. So, you know, the whole industry used to be 1099 based. Yes. Remember that? Yes. It was uh, as an independent (laughs) contractor. It was great, but unsafe. (laughs) It was great, but unsafe. And it was still bending the rules even back then. So Mm -hmm. this this bill doesn't really change anything. It's just enforcing those kind of rules. Because technically, depending on which roles you're looking at in this business, you're technically an employee, not an independent contractor. Right. And so my understanding of how it should go is if you tell somebody where they're going or if you have them report to a location at a certain time, it basically means they're your employee at that point. Exactly. Right. Which means you're supposed to be paying into their payroll tax fringes. Right. And so that was that was one one way of kind of getting around that for companies so they didn't have to pay that. Right. The employer tax and also the workman's comp, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. But that opened up a lot of companies to a lot of liability, not having people kind of covered by workers' comp. Hmm. Labor board. <laughs> I've definitely yeah. had to deal with audits from the labor board before because companies— Really? I haven't. Well, yes. Companies up until about, I would say, three or four years ago would still pay crew members as 1099 independent contractors. And you run the risk of being caught. And I can tell you that after somebody gets caught and they have to pay the fine, they don't do it again. So (laughs) it's always in our best interest to advise the company to not do it because it's illegal, Mm -hmm. but also to protect the employees, our crew. And I think a lot of other companies are going through this kind of same, not fight, but same... uh, Awakening. (laughs) Awakening of what does it mean to be employee? So all these ride-sharing apps are kind of going through the same thing as well. You know, initially the concept was you as a individual human In your person <laughs> being and your car, you're renting out your back seat. Right. That was like the original concept of these kind of apps. But then the more and more you're kind of looking at, you know, what does it really mean to be an Uber driver or Lyft driver? Are you an employee of Uber and Lyft because they're making all this money and you're getting a, a small fraction of it? And so I think that is kind of what has led to this AB5. So here's what it says. In 2018, the California Supreme Court adopted the ABC test in Dynamex versus Superior Court. Under the ABC test, a worker is considered an employee and not an independent contractor unless the hiring entity can demonstrate that it meets all three of the following requirements. So this is the ABC. Okay. A, the individual is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work both under the contract for the performance of the work and in fact. Hmm. So automatically, if you're looking at hiring a grip as an independent contractor, not 1099ing them, because the individual is free from control and direction, in our business, they're not. They're not. We tell them what to do. (laughs) We tell them. I mean, you and I don't tell, as producers, we don't tell grips what to do. Exactly. However, we do tell the people who tell the grips what to do, what to do. 
when to get there. They can't leave during the day without reporting to us. There's multiple things that exactly. we oversee that right off the bat, nobody should be an independent contractor on your set. <laughs> right. So I think right there, anybody on your set, that fails the test right off the bat, right? All right. So B. The individual performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. That's hmm. interesting. What did, I so, mean, like, that could mean anything, <laughs> or it could mean everything. Catering, mm-hmm. right? We don't, you know, when we're working at these production companies, they're not caterers, right? They make films, so we would hire a catering company, or, I mean, kind of even craft service. They're food. They're food service providers. But we do know that craft service is a union-covered category, so that, that doesn't work. Well, so are some chefs in L.A., correct? Yeah, yeah. They're Teamsters, yeah, right? They're Teamsters, yep. Hmm. Well, I do know that during the 2000s, from like 2003 to 2010, there's a large push at a lot of companies to make sure that the catering crew, the actual people who show up at mm-hmm. uh, on your set, needed to go on your payroll. Yeah, and then it just yep. became standard. It became standard. Then it fell under the Teamsters here in California, at least. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gray area in this. But, <laughs> I mean, the reality <laughs> the reality is, at least for the film crew, they all should go on time card. They all should have their benefits paid into. Well, outside of union benefits, they should all have their workers' comp paid into and their disability paid into and all that. Here's the interesting one for me. Location managers used to always be kept yeah. in that category of 1099, no problem. And it's because they went out and they did their work. We did not tell them where to go. We told them find oh, a house. Interesting. But are location scouts teamsters in New York? The union ones are, yes. Location scouts and managers in New York are either teamsters or they're DGA, which was a nice little, like, I didn't yeah. Know that. There's three That's or four wild. of them. Mm-hmm. But technically, I remember reading these in the 500 page guidelines by <laughs> RSA or Anonymous that the location manager. Producer and director were considered 1099 employees. Everyone else had to go on to time cards. Right. I guess it all affects the non-union world. Yeah, that is another way to look at all this is Mm -hmm. obviously we're regulated to put most everybody on time card because of union rules. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at the non-union world, then maybe there's a little flexibility in here if somebody prefers to be an independent contractor. That if they perform work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business, they might still be able to do so. Okay. Mm, So now I'm excited about C. Yeah. So (laughs) C, the individual is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. It kind of is a little bit of an iteration of of everything that they've already said, right? This is their kind of standard business. They do it independently. It's their career. And it's what we're asking them to do. We're not going to a plumber and saying, hang this light, right? We're going to a treatment designer and saying, design this treatment. During the audit that I had from New York State Labor Board, part of how you could prove that the person was an independent contractor was, did they have their own website? Did they advertise themselves Mm -hmm. on their own? Do they have a company name, even if it's just a DBA? Yes. There was also something, I remember looking at this years ago, decade ago, that said, (laughs) do they have specific tools that they use to do their job? Oh. Like, do they have an inventory of tools? Yes. And is that where the hit rental breakdown came from? I know that the IRS. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I know the IRS makes you list value now beside the products that you list on your kit you can't just say screwdrivers screwdriver yeah yeah you actually <laughs> screwdrivers have to list, list 40 dollars exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> so it definitely is going to affect some people but obviously you know if you're working on a film set you technically are an employee so companies out there that are paying everyone on 1099s probably need to button up because at least here in California they're cracking down and you definitely don't want to get caught exactly So the rest of this letter goes on to say that under AB5, the ABC test, which we just read, A, B, and C, must be used to determine the appropriate classification of workers in most occupations for the purpose of the Labor Code, the Unemployment Insurance Code, and the Industrial Welfare Commission wage orders. 
I don't know what that last one is. I don't know what that is. But if anybody wants more information, <laughs> apparently the state of California has launched a new website with all this information and an FAQ, a frequently asked list of questions to help you understand the ABC test and AB5 and your obligations as an employer. So this is really for big production companies, but it also be, you know, independent producers like myself that are incorporated. And sometimes I do hire people under the umbrella of my corporation. So this is all mm. really, really good information. So if you want to check this out more, please visit labor.ca.gov slash employment status. All one word, labor.ca.gov slash employment status, and it contains all the information from various state entities here in California that kind of outline this new bill. That is very important information to know. Thank you, Lawrence. I'm absolutely sure um, that the state of New York will follow suit because we always do. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. Mm -hmm. That's it for this episode of Current Affairs. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> that was great. Lawrence, do you have any... <laughs> Lawrence. <What>? Yes. <laughs> do you have any productivity tools that you'd like to share with us today? I do. I do. This is this is another new segment, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I think segment friendly. <laughs> I'm segment friendly. Um yeah, you know what I started using and I don't I don't use it on every job is something called monday.com. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Sounds like a place for like really good memes. Really go on. good memes. <laughs> Monday memes. Yeah, exactly. Monday <laughs> memes. So it's interesting. And I don't know about you, Christian, but I don't really get bogged down in a lot of software, a lot of apps. When some companies want me to join Slack, that's just like, uh, it stabs me a little bit in the heart. Slack is the worst thing. I just use my little notes app on my computer mm -hmm. and, or, you know, I still sometimes write stuff down in my little notebook. And I just keep a list. It's really that simple. And then learning these softwares and all that, sometimes it's just a little more work than is necessary. But hmm. I started using Monday.com because I had a very big project last year. It was that Str Stranger Things project, actually. And I t played around with Monday.com a little bit. And it's pretty simple. It's just a to-do list. But you can categorize the to-do lists. Nice. And you can assign each element to a person on your team. And you can keep all the notes in there of, of that specific element of the job. We had a, a section of to-dos about, you know, our department. And what they suggest is you really break it down. So rather than get the set designs approved, you know, break that down. And what it's like, you know, get the first round of set designs from your designer, send the set designs to the agency, get feedback from agency, send feedback to, and it seems really annoying and time consuming, but it actually was extremely helpful. That was a silly example. But when you when you start getting into really technical things like the ARG we developed or, you know, when you have a lot of moving parts and big, big jobs and, and you have a team that is working with you, it kind of really makes things pretty simple. And uh, just to clarify, I'm not getting paid by Monday.com to say any of this. <laughs> I'm just uh, sharing tools of the trade to people. And I don't think even think they market to the film industry at all, but I found them somehow and uh, I really like them. I've used them a couple of times on a couple of different jobs and it's been really helpful. You know, I wanted to, I, I was looking for something very similar to this. So I'm absolutely going to try Monday.com. Mm -hmm. I have a very similar thing called Wonderlist with a U. Oh. com. And when I'm on large jobs with multiple production folks, like me mm -hmm. and a PM and a coordinator and an assistant coordinator and two office BAs, it's the perfect time to whip out, you know, this type of software. Exactly. Right? And um, we all sign up add to the list, assign it to people, as you said, and then we can be checking it off. And you can also see what's already been done. It doesn't uh -huh. disappear. So you can refer back and say, well, this was done at this time. So mm. yeah, it's pretty nice. I've used it also too in my personal life. Like when a group of us went to Burning Man, you just assign everybody things that they need to do. <laughs> and then they can nice. always refer to it and remember where it is. I think that everyone has their own way of taking notes, whether it be yeah. handwritten, like you said, or um, verbal notes, dictation, or the good old notes app, which I enjoy too. This streamlines it all down into condensing and making sure everybody's looking at the same thing. That's cool. So mm -hmm. we kind of have the same. Uh, it, we have the same like tips. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same tool, but in a different brand, different packaging. But yes. it all basically helps us stay organized. Stay on top of our tasks. Exactly. And I'm very open to Wonderlist sponsoring me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're both open to sponsors. <laughs> exactly. If anybody, if anybody would like one, like to uh, help us out. <laughs> exactly. 
as we mentioned, today our focus is the latest tech and how that affects camera department. Christian, we both know Jordan, I think, from Stardust. Yes, uh, that's exactly where we met, which Stardust. Was, which was quite a while ago, but it was, it was an amazing ago. little boutique kind of motion graphics, special effects, and live action design company. And Jordan was one of their go-to DPs. So... It's exciting to have him to chat with us today. Jordan Levy is a versatile filmmaker who has been represented as a cinematographer for over 20 years in commercials, music videos, television, and film. Born in New York, Jordan began studying art and photography in an early age and started as a lighting designer for New York City off-Broadway productions, which I didn't know anything about this. He moved to L.A. and went on to assist some of the most influential directors and cinematographers of all time, including Harry Savitas. Tony Kay, Samuel Bear, and Albert Watson. In addition to numerous national commercial campaigns, Jordan has shot multiple television series for Netflix, Comedy Central, and True TV. Music videos for Katy Perry and Edward Sharp, and worked with director John Hillcoat to create the live performance visuals for Bob Dylan's Desert Trip Festival performance. He also produced and shot his first documentary feature film, Chicago, The Terry Kath Experience, which was featured at the Toronto International Film Festival. Yes, and here he is, Jordan Levy. Hi, Jordan. Wow, I've never really heard that all read out loud. (laughs) Well, it's quite impressive. That's you. (laughs) Yeah. How are you Um, doing? What's going on with you these days? Good, yeah. It's kind of come a little bit full circle for me 20-plus years later Mm. because I'm doing a lot of lighting design in theaters now, but for... Netflix stand-up specials and stand-up series shows. It's pretty interesting because all those shows used to be done by a multi-cam type director and they know the cameras and they'd be more like broadcast cameras tied into fly packs and then it'd be a lighting designer. So there would be no DP. I came from theater school. I mean, I went to film school too, but I wound up graduating with the BFA in theater and I did everyone's lighting. This is before computers, unfortunately, (laughs) I'm that old. You're not Um, that old. Where where we had two scene presets, those were our boards. So you can set up one scene lighting and while they're acting, you're setting up the next scene's lighting. And then when the cue comes, you have to fade between the two. So you may be shifting probably around 30 to 50 different faders to get to what the lights, the next lights are going to come up percentage-wise and stuff. Jordan, you've worked with both me and Christian, so leave us out of this conversation. But we want to talk to you, obviously, as producers happy hour. We want to talk to you about how do you interact with producers when you are doing your job, when you're performing your job? What is your interaction with producers and what value do you get out of producers that help you do your job to the fullest potential? I would say to me, the producer is the sometimes long forgotten part of the job where people don't realize how much they need them these days until they're trying to do something without them. (laughs) I I may have heard that once, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Especially these days when things have become a little bit more affordable and accessible. A lot of people are putting on the producer hats that are trying to do their own little personal projects or favors. Mm. And you quickly learn when you're coming from our world Uh, especially me on a crew world with a certain level of crew that all of a sudden we're dealing with someone that doesn't really know either proper etiquette or proper organization, what we take for granted that we learn to rely on. Right. So here's a question for you. So when you get the call, let's say you're, is a traditional commercial, you get the call from your agent, you're booked, everything's great, and the initial conversation that you have with the producer, what are you looking to get from that? What information are you looking? First things, I'm probably looking at the the size and scope of the project, so I don't come in overwhelmingly saying, this is what I need, this is what we expect. I'd like to get the scope and Mm -hmm. budget and 
I can n- normally tell by my rate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never thought about so, that. That is very interesting. Right. That's like a light bulb just went off in wow. Lawrence and my mind simultaneously, sir. Amazing. I've never thought about that before. But of that's course, interesting. Yeah, of course you can. But that's the first thing I want to know because I don't want to come in and be overly demanding. Yes. All of a sudden, oh, that's the DP that needs all this stuff and relies on all these things. And I'm not that person, but I think everything is relevant. Well, I can remember, I would say 2011 was the last real time that I had something where a job where there was not an option to talk to the DP about money or crew size. It was just do whatever he needs. It was still film, though. <laughs> it was back, back in the film days. <laughs> back in the film days. <laughs> yeah, time has changed. So, you know, I, sometimes I do not have any limitations, but I still try to judge the scope of it because I don't want to put too much into one thing where I really need this, where I, okay. I really need the lighting but don't need the grip. I really need the equipment. I don't need big as, as big as a crew. So I still try to get that scope, but, I mean, that is the first thing that I have to evaluate Okay. Job. And then, so let's let's take it to part two. You've gone through it, then you've had the discussion with the director, the creative discussion on all the things that mm-hmm. the director wants, mm-hmm. which is might be different than what your rate <laughs> may, <laughs> have, <laughs> may have malaise. I'm sure that there are many different ways to light a job, but you have a particular style. So it's either your style or your relationship with the director of what gets you hired. So how do you take your style to shape the job under the scope that the producer has given you? For the most part, I would say 70% of my jobs are from clients I've already worked for. I definitely come from being a producer hire. Um, Was that Rich Kaler or Jason Manns? (laughs) Or Emily Puckett? (laughs) All of them. them. (laughs) I think I've met almost all the directors I've worked for for years through being a producer hire, I'm known for being... Production-friendly, as they say. Yeah, you know, word gets around. Yeah. I don't think people realize that sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I, I don't, yeah. and I do think that we're looking for people who do their job really well that we can mm-hmm. confidently recommend yeah. to a director. So when 100%. the director's looking for somebody and your name is one of the three websites we send or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. it's because you're both. You're talented and yeah. you communicate. Yeah, so I always took it as a good thing. And I think I've done more versatile work instead of being kind of pigeonholed with one or two great directors. Being a producer hire, I, I really have a broad spectrum of clients to where it's really hard to pigeonhole what I do now. I could always trace something back to a producer that either got my name from the production company from a different producer or a producer that I've met. And that's why I think, to go back to your original question, even before I've talked to the director, I also like to get the producer's perspective on the creative. Because mm-hmm. right. a lot of times they'll start out with saying, oh, it's very simple. We're just in one room and <laughs> this is what's going to happen. It's um, don't, believe don't believe the yeah. treatment. Don't believe the treatment. So I just have to get their perspective on the creative as well as what I was saying about the mm-hmm. scope and the budget. But I do like to get the producer's view on what they're expecting. Sometimes the producers have a little bit more insight into what the agency actually wants. Right. Than, exactly. And the director might have their own side uh, adventure. Side adventure that, <laughs> that they want. But also sometimes the producer can be a little delusional about mm-hmm. how simple the shoot might be. So when you do find yourself on a job with somebody who may have lesser experience than other producers that you've worked with, how do you guide them or do you specifically ask them for multiple things or... Like if you see red flags in your conversations with a producer, Mm -hmm. do you kind of come back to them and maybe you do take a little bit more of a firmer stance and say, hey, if this is the outcome you want, we need to do it this way, you know? Where do you feel your role is in, in that kind of guiding the ship? Because between the producer, you and the director, you're really kind of at the top of the ship, right? Yeah, I think that's a definitely good question that I probably come across with almost every job, unless the producer and director and me have worked together many times. 
I work with a director that expects a certain amount of things to happen during a shoot. And uh, the producer was not not used to that. And it was someone that's doing features and the director's feature director, big ones. And he, he expects certain things where the producers tell me I'm not getting them. And I'm saying, well, this isn't coming from me. These are the director's right. needs, director's wants. And I sometimes have to give them a little perspective on who they're working for, yeah. <laughs> what they're going to expect, and what's going to happen on set. There's yeah. some directors that are highly involved in the pre-production of their project and some that are not. Hmm. It's done as polite and cordial as it can go. <laughs> sometimes things could do get a little heated, but it's always me trying to balance the communication between them as well and make sure everyone's coming to the set knowing what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. What's not going to happen? What's not going to happen That's is just as important <laughs> exactly. as what's going to happen. Because... Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want them to have bigger expectations than I know is not going to happen or can't happen yeah. due to either time, time technical money limitations, or, yeah. money, manpower, everything, right? Yeah. So it's, it's really not to go in with them over. You know, either side expecting more than is possible. You know, sometimes I am the median talking between the two. So communication seems to be across the board when we talk to people. Communication seems to be the most important thing out of a producer that really kind of helps benefit everybody in doing their job. What do you see? Are there any traits in producers that maybe hinder you from doing your job? Are there any missteps producers make that really kind of tie your hands from executing what is supposed to be executed? I think the only thing that really is a hindrance to me is when they get super stressed out. Really? Yeah, because uh, it's normally not from what I'm doing. It's something that's coming from either the client or the yeah. agency. Yeah. Or the production company. Or the, whatever is affecting them, sometimes it gets taken out on me or the director or the crew or the situation we're in. The key is to recognize that immediately, that it's not what it's not what we're doing now, and we have to continue on what we're doing. Everyone has their cog in the wheel that has to keep moving. I see the producer though as the tour mm-hmm. guide. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. We're <laughs> we're on a tour. A we are manager. tour guides. The bathrooms are to You're your the left. Tour guide. Yep. Craft services exactly. to your right. We've um, got ten hours. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what everyone's looking, if you're the line producer specifically, yeah. for the crew, I may be the person that's hiring them and they'll probably do what I say before anybody because they look at me as their boss. But for me, the line producer is the tour guide through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Any questions, ask the, the tour, tour guide. guide. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but any tour that I've ever been on, I would not want to be stressed out on. And I, I also um, find that stress comes from inexperience, yes. too. And telling somebody to relax always works. <laughs> so if you didn't try that, <laughs> could be a thing. <laughs> Can we switch gears yeah. for just a second? Let's I'd love it. to ask you about mm-hmm. your process. These days, I know we have shortened prep times than mm-hmm. what may have been the standard before, but it's all due to mm-hmm. money again. So the moment mm-hmm. that you get the email saying that you are confirmed and booked on a project, when do you start? Even before I'm fully booked, I already have crew on hold. Just the fact that they're checking my availability really? for the 15th of February, I put out three texts. First AC, First AC, gaffer, uh-huh. grip. Yep. I make sure they're available. Please hold. As soon as I'm on hold, they're on hold. Wow. I mean, we do that with production managers, right? We totally like, we do. Totally do. Yeah, I, like, mean, I guess yeah. that's the immediate the sniff of a thing. job. Yeah. 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 Yep. I do exa- exactly yeah. the same thing. Wow. Right. I mean, I know I'll be able to get equipment. My gaffer actually owns a lighting company, and my grip owns a grip truck, and so you get your team on hold, okay? And now, let's say the job's awarded, you get the boards or you get a script. What are you looking at at first blush? And we don't have to go into the details, but like, I need HMIs, I need light, I need sky panels, or I need this specific camera because of this. 
Like, what are the big tip-offs in the boards or the script that, aside from your raid, aside from your discussions, you see the frames and you're like, oh, I'm going to need this lens or I need this needs to be anamorphic or that's a creative discussion or what do you see that that kind of tips you off as to either special gear you need I or think, a special process yeah. that you might have to take? I think coming from camera, my first thoughts are what would be the proper tool. So which camera body? Yeah. Some things are dictated. So now I'm working with Netflix a lot. Mm. The delivery, right? Yeah. So they have a delivery spec Mm -hmm. and a shooting spec. So we have to get on the phone and do a Netflix tech tech call with their tech Mm. department for every job. And it's usually me, the post producer, my DIT, sometimes my AC, and a full room of Netflix producers, um, <laughs> deliverable department mm. producers. Interesting. Um, and we all have to come to an agreement on what the specs are going to be for the shoot. So some cameras are automatically out, like an Alexa's are not mm-hmm. approved for Netflix, except for the new LF one, which is harder to get multiple of. So a lot of shows are multiple cameras. So it's it's kind of tough. So we've we've jumped mostly to the new Sony Venice full frame 6K camera, but we tend to shoot 4K with it. So, and sometimes it's easy. So I'm in the commercial world. Do you guys need 4K, or are you okay with an Alexa? And generally, they just write back Alexa, huh. <laughs> and uh, and that's the decision is made. Oh, so okay. after that, there's really two categories. One when a job comes to me with comedy. Those directors I've usually worked for before, and if I haven't, it's generally the same thing. They're not looking at how I'm going to light it. They're looking at how they're going to comedically deliver the gag that's going on in the, in the story for the comedy. The lighting is not even in anything in my head, because I know when it comes down to it, they just want it to look good. In those treatments, there's usually not a whole five pages of styles and looks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like there can um, be in a 30-second lifestyle commercial. <laughs> right. So when it's fashion or drama or beauty or car, my first thoughts after camera are either lensing or, or lighting. Mm-hmm. Are they going to want to shoot an anamorphic? Lighting, I'm looking at, are we in a studio? Are we... Are we in a studio and are we on location? Are we day or night? The style of what I, how I shoot things isn't really something that I'm thinking about. It's just something that right. happens. It's nothing like predetermined that I'm like, oh, I have to do it like this and this and this because that's my style. Right, right, right. The thing that you know, successful DPs have is good ones have that artist side of them but also have to have that technical side of them. Yeah. I don't think you could have one without the other and wind up being and be a director of photography. Right. It's probably impossible. And speaking of that, the technical, you know, there's been so many technical advancements in our industry in the past few years that have really changed things ever since we said goodbye to our last roll of film that we dropped off at Duard or Photochem. Ever since then, you know, we've seen this crazy growth in technology that has helped us do our jobs and things are changing. I've seen new gear on set on almost every job. How has that affected mm-hmm. you and what you do? And is there any new, either a new camera body or some new ways of shooting or exposing or lighting that has really kind of changed, significantly changed what you do? Or do you, do you feel like all this comes in steps and, and you just kind of move through depending on what the job needs? I think both. And by the time you air this, there'll be something else. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to keep up <laughs> because everyone that's trying to have your job is keeping up faster than you are because you're working. That is so, so true. Yes. Yes. Uh, they're on the blogs. They're on the mm-hmm. forums. They're at the conventions. We're working. Mm, so yeah. specifically my crew, I sometimes have to bring things up to the table where Okay, I'm a DP. I may have a few weeks off. I may go to NAB. I belong to the forums. I'm digging into things like that, and I have to. 
Yeah. Sometimes things that I'm poo-pooing one day, three months later, they're on my set. Yes. <laughs> I have yeah. a lot of younger people that I will mentor just by them emailing me, Facebooking me, texting me questions about different things that are, that would I use this? Would I use that? What do you think about this thing that just came out? And 90% of the time, I'm like, that will never be on my set. (laughs) (laughs) But then there's, you know, there's that small percentage of time where I said, "Hmm." it's on my set six (laughs) months later as as a tool that is a necessity because of what's happening. (laughs) I mean, to even continue down that line. So in the last, let's say, two years or so, I've been trying to, as a producer, convey between deliverables that a commercial would like to do for, let's say, social media, what the agency Mm -hmm. wants to do, and then also, too, understanding that we only, like, speaking to the DP about how he or she can frame up for... 16.9 16.9 and 9.16 at the same time. <laughs> Have you been asked to do this yet? Oh, yeah. Right. It, so that happens a lot. Yes. We'd like to ta- discuss how that do you, a How do you fold more. that into yeah. your process? You know, uh, Yeah, I've done some campaigns for TikTok. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. We just talked about this wow. a few episodes ago. <laughs> yes. We haven't done oh, anything. Really? Yeah, we haven't We're done excited. anything for TikTok yet, but it, we, knew it's, we know it's coming. So tell oh, us. Wow. Tell okay. us. I, I've actually directed some campaigns for them, director DP. Uh, really? And when I'm directing, this, it's a much easier situation because I'm selling the agency uh, on a thing way before we've gone to set instead of like, oh, mm-hmm. so it's relayed to me that we have to do it 16.9 and 9.16. If I'm not directing it, and it used to come to me pretty early on. For TV, we had to do it for Snapchat and the promos, and we so we'd turn the camera on its side and have to do it again. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the same way again, and, everyone. <laughs> exactly, and that's really when we were shooting mostly like 2K right. cameras, Alexas, and mm-hmm. cutting out a middle. Now, if I know that's going to happen, I'll have frame lines in for each thing, and right. I'll be shooting a, a larger format camera. Up to 6K, I haven't really done much 8K yet. Everyone's in post is kind of afraid about that. Well, there's a lot. It's a DIT heavy load on the day of, too. Yeah, and post as well. What I would would normally do is, so on TikTok, it was a tabletop of different scenarios, and the hands would come in with the phone from underneath and be scrolling through other TikTok apps. Mm -hmm. What I wound up doing was shooting at 6K, and mm-hmm. I would put a lens on to what we would say, this is the proper framing for 16 by nine. So once we've signed off on that, I took that lens off and I'd put on a much wider lens so they can cut out both things. That's right. It's kind of genius. So I would overshoot it. Mm-hmm. And this came from me knowing the technical capabilities right. of what the, the camera, what the sensor is doing, and me knowing lensing right. quite a bit. The favorite thing that the agency will say in Video Village is punch in. How much can, How much we, can punch we punch in? in? How much can we punch in? Yeah. And, um, I'm like 15 to 18%. <laughs> Did you make the, are you making that up? Yep. <laughs> but if you say it confidently, they're all like, great. Yes. And then when they get a little more, yeah, it's you a have bonus. To say whatever they want to hear, that's what you say, and that's what will be able to be done. Maybe. Well, I know that they'll get at least 15%. So, <laughs> Yeah. Depending on where it's going for, 9 by 16, obviously that's not going to broadcast. Right. That's going to the internet. So at the very least, so, it's got to be HD, right? Yeah. At the mm-hmm. least. So you're shooting 6K, you're shooting everything wider than it's going to be. Mm-hmm. The math is done and I'm I'm selling them on, you'll be able to cut out the nine by 16 and you'll be able to frame the 16 by nine wow. exactly how we, we showed it. So once I show them the actual shot with the lens that it should be, and then I just, then you back out. Yeah. I usually will change the lens a couple of steps wider. So if I'm on a 35, I'll go to like a 21 and wow, now they got all of that. But that also comes to where on tabletop, I've talked to the production designer about building 
the table, the scene bigger than it will be. Oh, right. Because um, we're going to be shooting off of off it. The, uh-huh. I've also sold this into the whole agency way of thinking because mm-hmm. what has happened is, oh, do we have to shoot everything twice? Uh-huh. Now we can only do three scenarios instead of four scenarios. But yeah. I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> this is how we'll do it. And yeah. they're very happy that they can get in another scenario. So, Jordan, we only have a few more minutes left, but how have you had to adjust your thinking, or have you, or your way of working to kind of accommodate the shrinking budgets that we are all having to work with in this crazy commercial, more for the commercial world? I know TV, the TV stuff you do is totally different, but in the commercial world, have you had to kind of adjust and shift what you do? Yeah, but I was in a unique position to where coming up before I was remotely successful at anything, I was always kind of producing, shooting my own things. Mm-hmm. I was making music videos ah. in high school, mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite aware of how to do things smaller. And I always still, since music videos died in 1998. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad someone you put uh, a year to it. <laughs> I know it for a fact because that's when my agent said, take every music video off your reel. And I went kicking and screaming. Really? And within six months, I was shooting car commercials. So I was like, oh, Ah. she knew exactly what I was saying, what she was doing. But I never stopped doing music videos. Most of my friends, though I'm in the film industry, I would say the majority of my friends are in the music business, Mm -hmm. either in bands or labels or musicians and so i've never stopped doing music videos for friends so when something comes through with a smaller budget i think i have already adapted to that's just another way of doing this and i think what i've said before was letting everyone know of the limitations i mean i have producers that have something low budget on their table and they come to me and they go, can you budget this? Because really? we don't even know what to start. Yeah. I can budget it as far as my crew and my equipment. Right, yeah. I won't have food, sound, no. or no, production yeah, yeah, yeah. design on there. <laughs> That's hard. Um, but they still want to know, like, what would my side of things cost? How can you do this for... I mean, I just had to do that this week. <laughs> That's actually pretty common because... Mm-hmm. Producers are not sometimes used to doing a small thing. So they want to know if it can be done and it could mm. be if there's money for it or not. Right. And if it can be done, can you do it? <laughs> you. Right. And how can you do it for 20 grand less? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or 20 grand total. Oh. oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, those things are out there. It's those possible. things are happening. And it's fun to do. Yeah, yeah. It can be fun to do them as long as everyone's. I think they're ex- fun. Yeah. As long as everyone's expectations exactly. are managed. Mm-hmm. Everyone's expectations are managed. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what they're getting into mm-hmm. and it's all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And everyone comes in mm-hmm. with the right attitude. Those things can be can be great. I have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. And I do things like this for directors' pitches for movies all the time. Really? Yeah, they're pitching TV shows. They need a visual pitch these days. Or a director needs to do something for his reel. Or, and for me, listen, I make a good living. I care about my crew. They don't owe me an immediate favor because of a big job we just did. I just want them to be taken care of. Yeah. Sometimes we... You know, I can lean on them because we just came off a big one and the director wants to back in the music video off of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's an interesting conversation and we don't have enough time to get too deep into it. But like, you know, it's one thing for somebody in your position to significantly cut your rate or waive your rate to do a passion project or a favorite project. But then to ask your crew, that that's a much bigger ask. How do you kind of weigh that? When do you, when don't you, what's right, what's not right? How, how do you navigate that? It's really director and project dependent. I try not to anytime ask for a complete free favor. No, no, no. It's usually the favors are coming from a director or a producer that we've worked with quite often and he sure. knows us and knows the crew. Mm-hmm. If it's for him or for a short or for something, I usually at least try to get them to give everyone 
like a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least some just so everyone's money. on the same yeah. page. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's on the same page. They're getting a hundred bucks. I try to reel in the director's vision or producers how much we're going to work and what it can take or what is too much to ask for this price. Okay. And I just try to balance it all out. And that's one situation. And the other situation is if we don't know these people, then I at least try to get them taken care of in a better way. Or yeah. I really just sometimes I have to pass. It never has to do with anything that's the budget or what I'm making on the job, which it's about your crew. Maybe nothing. It's about my crew. I mean, you don't want to upset your crew. No. And that is something that I've come to know about you. Your crew is like your family. You guys are always tied together and they got your back. You know them, you take care of them. And that kind of relationship is really important. And that's, that's, that's how you make it work. Thank you so much for your time. We know how valuable it is. So we really appreciate it. And this was fun. We learned a lot. We, we always, learned a every lot. Every conversation we have with somebody, we learn a little behind the scenes about the things you guys are talking about when we're not talking to you. And it's educational for us as producers. So this is great. We, we love appreciate it. it. Great. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about. Um, Jordan, how can people get a hold of you? I'm wrapped by Radiant Artists. Uh Uh, Mm -hmm. Lindsay's my main point there. Lana there as well. Yeah, Lindsay, everyone loves them. And that's why, you know, I left a bigger agency that was just got overwhelmed. So Radiant Artists is where they can get a hold of me for work. Awesome. But I'm also, Instagram is is a big thing for us, which is Jordan Levy DP. Jordan, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Well, that's it for this episode, but we want to hear from you. Yes. Any questions, comments, or any ideas on how to be a better producer, send us a note. Hit us up at producershappyhour at gmail.com, or you can find all of our contact info at producershappyhour.com. Yes. And a big shout out and thank you once again to Kyle Puccia, who is a commercial music composer, and he did the music to this podcast. Obviously, a big shout out to Jordan Levy for taking the time out of his day to chat with us and give us some insight as to what happens in the DP's mind after we make that phone call. It was very informative. Thank you, Jordan. It was very informative, (laughs) yes. And another shout out to Tom Tenney at Radio Free Brooklyn for connecting you and us virtually across the country. Yes. (laughs) It's like we're together, but we're not. So strange. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And Lawrence, how do people get in touch with you? You can always get a hold of me at indelible-arts.com. That's my experiential production company website. But if you want to hear my voice, go to voiceoflawrence.com. I'm also available as a voiceover artist. What about you, Christian? I can be reached at sisterchristianproduces.com. Excellent. We have so many more guests coming up. So guys, stick with us. We're going to have a lot of fun chats and a lot of stuff to learn. And as we continue on our journey about what it means to be a great producer. Bye, y'all. Bye. Join us next week for another edition of Producers Happy Hour with your host, Sister Christian, and Lawrence T. Lewis.